All right, you guys can have a seat. Like uh, I've said, and Eric said a few times here, we're really happy that you guys are here today. Um, if you're new, we've been working through, walking through the book of Genesis, which is the very first book in the Bible. And um, I want to start by just giving you a, a quick overview of where we've been uh, thus far in our journey. And then we'll kind of go pick it up from there. So in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we learn that in the beginning, God created all things good. All parts of the universe were in harmony. And when he came to creating human beings, he made us very good. He made us in what the Bible says, his image and likeness. So he made us to be a special human beings to be a special reflection in all of creation and all of the universe that we would reflect God more than anything else that he had made. And although that first generation, uh, Adam and Eve, the first people uh, talked about in the Bible, had everything that they needed uh, to live and sustain in this garden that God created for them, we're told that they ate from the one tree, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil that God said that they couldn't eat from. There was one thing that they couldn't touch, that they couldn't eat. And God said if they ate from that tree, they would surely die. And what we find is that they didn't die right away. They did eat the fruit. They did disobey. They listened to the voice of the, the snake over the voice of God. But God was merciful in the delaying of those consequences. Yes, they would die their physical death eventually, but something much bigger is at play too. And we see God's mercy right from the very beginning. And eating that forbidden fruit in the first generation led to the second generation, the first murder in the second generation when Adam's son Cain killed his other son Abel. Things escalated quickly. So we're going to take a look. Where did humanity go from there according to Genesis? Did they get better? I think you already know the answer is no. But I want to take a moment to pray because we see that the answer is no. Monday night, another shooting at another school, Michigan State. We're all in shock again that another atrocious, incomprehensible evil could happen in this planet that human beings are capable of doing something like that. We need to let these moments not only form a little bit of our view of humanity, but also lead us to look in the mirror to see something within ourselves. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll jump in a bit. Uh, Lord, I do take a moment now um, for people that none of us have probably ever met that live in a different place um, for all those affected by this violent act um, at Michigan State University earlier this week that um, your comfort would be with them in something that I can't and cannot imagine facing if it were somebody that were close to me. We pray, we already know you You are with the brokenhearted. You lament with us that there is violence in this world and 
And in today's world, we're exposed to it in such a higher degree than maybe generations past. So it would very easily make us think that evil is winning the day. But Lord, I pray that even as we get to the end of the service later, that we will see that you are the victor and that death doesn't have the final say. Amen. So we're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 4, 5, and 6, but that doesn't mean we're going to read it all. Um, I'm going to read certain parts of it, but I do want to um, step back a little bit just to read like two verses that we read last week for you to see kind of where we're going to be going today. So uh, we will be in chapter 4, starting at verse 15. If you have a Bible with you, you can certainly open that up or look on your phone, or we'll have it up on the screen. So it says this, But the Lord said to him, so this is right after Cain, uh, one of the children of Adam and Eve, the the first humans, uh, had killed his brother Abel. And so God was giving him the consequences that he had to leave the garden. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. So Cain was worried that when God said uh, he had to leave, that people would see him and want to kill him. But then it said, the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. As we read last week, this is a sign of God's mercy, even in such a terrible situation. So, verse 16, Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. Now, it's interesting that although God had just promised to protect Cain, even though he might have deserved uh, the vengeance uh, towards himself for killing his brother, that the very next thing that we read about Cain is that he went, uh, found a wife, uh, they had a son, and he built a city to protect himself from the danger that he believed was coming after him. The very first city mentioned in the Bible was built by a man who didn't believe that God would protect him, even though God had literally just said that he would. Cain was just like his parents. We see a cycle happening here. Again, he didn't believe God's word. So the cycle of mistrust in God's word began and continued to spin. We kept reading verse 18 through 22 as a short lineage of Cain's sons uh, from Enoch all the way to the fifth generation to a man named Lamech. So I want to skip to verse 23. Um, We're going to see something familiar here. Verse 23 says, Lamech said to his wives. And now um, when you read the Bible, these these first chapters, you're asking questions like, where did all these people come from? I'm not going to answer that question for you. Um, because there's some mystery about that. But let's just assume they're there and continue. Ada and Zillah, uh, they, were, they were his wives' names. Let me start over. Lamech, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. Has any husband in, in here ever tried to frame up uh, like session with your wife that way? Listen here, wife of Jordan. <laughs> Hear my words. How well would that go over? Um, yeah, that's funny. So he says this, though. So he props it up that way. Listen here. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. 
If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, he keeps referring to himself in the third person, then Lamech 77 times. It's fascinating. Five generations after Cain kills his brother, the great, 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 great grandchild of Cain is now bragging about how little it took for him to want to kill somebody. Eating a forbidden fruit in Genesis 3 grew to killing a brother, killing a brother, which grew to bragging about killing somebody who had injured you. There's a, a cycle of sin, the spiral downward. The effect of sin was growing. Verse 25. Adam made love to his wife again. They keep telling us every time that happens. <laughs> and i got to make it awkward every time they do. <laughs> Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So we start to see a few generations in, there's some that will brag about how little it took for them to kill someone, and then some that will begin to call on the name of the Lord, that we need God's help. At the start of chapter 5, Genesis takes a step back. So every once in a while you get these genealogies, uh, and this one was from Adam all the way to Noah, and I'm not going to read that. And it's not just because those names are hard for me to pronounce, although they are, <laughs> but it's because I want to keep our, our focus uh, a certain direction here. Uh, but it says in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, This is the account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the image or in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. Right after we're told up to chapter 5 that some generations will boast about how easily they can murder someone and some will call on the name of the Lord, we're reminded right then that, again, people were made in the image and likeness of God. There's a value inherent to a person that God gave us. It's like the narrator of Genesis takes a breath for a second. I gotta take a break. <laughs> Let's remember God did create humankind in his image and likeness. Just a couple sentences after, we hear about a man that was bragging about how easily he could murder someone and comparing that even to his great, great, great grandfather's And being created in the image of God brings a certain level of responsibility that God gave us, moral responsibility that God gave us at the, the moment of creation to care for the world, to take dominion over it, which means to, to see God's shalom take place in all the parts of the world. 
This is a messy story, as we'll continue to see here. But God's image still remains somehow on people, in people, a part of who we are. The rest of chapter 5, like I said, is a genealogy of ten uh, generations, from Adam all the way to Noah. And ten generations into the story from Adam and Noah, we're well into this cycle of sin that started with eating fruit. And now, as I've said many times, is leading to all sorts of violence, all sorts of selfish, self-serving, sinful behavior. So we pick up in Genesis 6 now. See, we're getting through all, all three chapters. Verse 1 says, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of human and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Now you might think I'm going to spend the rest of the talk decoding that for you. I'm not. There is some mystery about what these characters are, these Nephilim, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on those questions um, because if, you, if you're listening closely, they're really loaded. I do want to just say this as I move on here, that the mystery of these creatures, these, what does it say, sons of God who saw the daughters of humans, that may, most of the church fathers uh, generally thought that the daughters of humans maybe referred to the offspring of Cain and that the sons of God referred to the offspring of Seth both children of Adam and Eve, and both throughout the course of the rest of the Bible show that Jesus will come to save the world, and then there's the rest of humanity kind of um, in the line of Cain that continues that cycle. But the point, regardless of that rabbit hole, just go watch some history documentary that claims that they know more than they do, (laughs) and then you'll hear some interesting things about that. But God saw, and this is where I just want to keep us this morning, God saw humanity was in a cycle of sin that grieved his heart. Which then caused him to say this, these these next two verses, I think are some of the hardest to read in the whole Bible. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's about as comprehensive as, as you can get. And also, how do you think with your heart? Hmm. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Those are really hard verses to read and probably really hard verses to hear, especially with what we sing about. 
because we do believe and know, and we'll get there here, but that God loves us. But it says that God had regretted that he had made human beings on earth. That's just such a, a sharp phrase. The Hebrew word for regret is nahum, and it means to sigh. It's to breathe strongly. It's a heartfelt sigh. So think about that. God went from, in Genesis 2, breathing life, the breath of life, into Adam and Eve. And now, just a couple chapters later, he's breathing a sigh, a heartfelt sigh, that his kids would be so far off base. Any parents in here? (laughs) You feel that pain? God cares. This is just so interesting to me. God cares so much about us that we can have that kind of effect on him. That although his face looks on us with love, we can also get off base to become who God never created us to be. Our sin grieves the heart of God. Our cycles of sin make the heart of God sigh. We can trouble the heart of God with our decisions. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that right after this comes the story of the flood, and we're going to get there next week. But I actually want to leave it there today. I want us to sit with the sigh of God a little bit. I want us to sit in that moment, not, not to condemn, but just to feel the weight of that, that our sin grieves the heart of God, the one who walked in the garden with us in the cool of the day, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, our father. So I do have a a tough question for all of us here today as we meditate and think about that. What cycle of sin needs to be broken in your life? Is there a cycle of sin in your life that you know needs to be dealt with, but maybe you haven't? Or it's easier for the time being to ignore it? Is there a temptation or a desire or a habit that keeps getting its claws in you? It can be complicated because maybe, maybe it's not your fault. We talk about the generations, right? Maybe you were born into something that traces its roots all the way back to the beginning. Did you know that children of alcoholics are four times more likely to become alcoholics themselves? That statistically, 30% of children who are abused will later abuse their own children. 
Children of divorce are seven times more likely to get a divorce themselves. Those are difficult, and we could go on, right? The things that just make the profile of life just so hard and so broken. And to some of you in this room, I know those aren't just statistics. Those are, that's your life. And you feel the effects of that, and my heart goes out to you as your pastor and friend that you feel the ache. Whether it's inside of our stories for many different things, inside of our own family tree or outside, we're all a part of the story, aren't we? We're witnesses to it. The world is crying out the blood of Abel, the injustices that we see and feel. It brings us to a place where we see, if you really take it in, that we're poor and powerless on our own. We are part of a cycle of sin and brokenness that grieves the heart of God. And so breaking the cycles of sin in our lives requires, and this is where I wanted us to just sit with us this morning, that we acknowledge that God's heart is grieved by our behavior. And we need something to help us break that cycle of sin. Let's pray. Lord, we take a moment now, every one of us, to allow you to examine us, to see if there's anything within us that you want to speak life to, anything that we haven't surrendered yet, anything that we need to just name as sin and brokenness that grieves your heart, we, we need you. We need you so badly, so would you hear our prayer this morning? Amen.